Hi everyone, it's me, Ben Blacker, your creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. Uh, welcome to this special bonus episode, which is a little less special because it's exactly the kind of interview I hate doing. That is, it's over Skype. Um, it's part of the uh, Fast Company magazine's 100 Most Creative People uh, article, and I was thrilled to get to talk to Kelly Curry. Unfortunately, she's back and forth from Nashville all the time, uh, so we didn't actually get to sit down together, and we had to do the interview over Skype, and it was not the best Skype connection. Uh, I did the best I could to clean this up for you, but this is why we're releasing it as a bonus interview. Um, Kelly was great. She was very forthcoming and really very frank about uh, her experiences in this, uh, her first year of writing and producing a television show uh, and directing as well. Um, so it is a good conversation. Uh, it's just a little tougher to listen to than the usual podcast. So for that, I apologize. Um, there was only one other of these Fast Company interviews that I couldn't do in person, but it was a phoner, and I think it, it sounds a lot cleaner. Um, Anyway, I hope you enjoy this interview with Callie Corey. Nashville is a really fun uh, soapy show, uh, and the finale is tonight, and that's why we're putting this out today. Uh, of course, you can go to Fast Company Magazine's website at fastcompany.com and check out the whole list of 100 most creative people in business, 77 through 83 are uh, all about television, uh, and there's some cool interviews that they put together you know, uh, that they cut together and edited based on the interviews that I did that you're hearing uncut. Uh, and be sure to check out number 83, Handsome Devil. Anyway, so that, this is the Fast Company interview with Kelly Corey. While I have your attention, if you are in the Los Angeles area, please join us at Largo on June the 4th for a very special Nerdist Writers panel um, to benefit A26LA uh, we're going to have a bunch of these uh, people who are on the Fast Company Creative 100 list, folks like Vince Gilligan and Liz Merriweather, as well as some pals of the Nerdist Writers panel like Greg Daniels, uh, who developed the American Office, and Carlton Cuse from Lost, Bates Motel, and the upcoming The Strain. Uh, it should be really cool. I'm, I'm lining up some uh, surprises for you as well. Um, so I know it's a little more than you're used to paying, um, but I, I promise you it all goes to A26LA, and uh, Largo has been really cool about that, and they're, they're donating their portion to A26LA as well. Uh, so it should be a really fun night. There's going to be some fun chat. Um, I know that uh, some, of these, some of these panelists have never met before, and others have met on the panels, and they really hit it off, so, so it should be a lot of fun and very funny and very enlightening as well. And, and again, like I say, I'll promise you some... Really cool surprises. Uh, so that's on June 4th at Largo at the Coronet here in Los Angeles. Um, and that's about it. Uh, you know, to find out more information about upcoming live panels, follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, or go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash panel. Uh, that's where, you know, I'll, I'll tell you about all the live stuff. I'll tell you what podcasts are coming out that week, uh, where... Weeks away from starting up the spin-off podcast, which is the Nerdist Writers Panel Comic Book Edition, which will become a second uh, release every week. Uh, and they, those really came together in a cool way. I think you guys will enjoy those. Sorry for the rambling introduction. Uh, as ever, if you enjoy the podcast, please go leave a review on iTunes. Uh, it helps us. It helps 826. 
Uh, it's good for everyone. It's good for America. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you again on Tuesday. Well, you'll hear me again on Tuesday. I won't see you at all. Unless you leave a picture on Facebook. You can do that. That'd be weird. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. I am at my office in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and it seems like you've been running back and forth from Nashville like crazy. Is this uh, is this how it's been all year for you? Yes, it is. It's, <laughs> I spent about 10 days to two weeks in Nashville. Then I go home for about five days and then come back. I, I have racked up some frequent flyer miles, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, how has the experience been for you overall? You know, we'll we'll get into some specifics, but you know, just just in general, has it been a good a good season for you? It's been incredible. You know, I've never done television before, so it's been learning a whole new pace of doing things. Just you know, the pace of doing network television, which is, I'm told, way different than cable because we have more episodes and. You know, I think they do 10 to 13 on a cable show, and we do 21. Most of shows do between 22 and 24. Yeah. But um, it's just a tremendous amount of work, and you have to do it very quickly. <laughs> but yeah. it's really fun. Oh, good. I'm glad. Let's, uh, let's talk about that work for a second. You know, you are coming from a feature world, and, and uh, the thing that keeps coming up among showrunners I've talked is how running a show is like running a small company. You know, you're, you're suddenly put in charge of all of these people, all of these moving parts. Um, tell me what it was like writing features compared to uh, working in television now. The difference is just the amount of time you have. It's you know, with features, you can, you know, you're in, you're in, you're writing the script, which takes however long it takes, you know, and you go through so many steps on that, that it can take, you know, three months, six months, a year to 10 years, however long, you know, the process takes before it gets green lit. Then you prep, then you shoot, then you post, and then the movie opens and it's kind of over <laughs> with TV, you're doing all of those things concurrently, mm-hmm. prepping an episode while you're, one isn't being shot and the other one is in post-production, and you kind of have to keep your eye on a lot of balls sure. in the air. So otherwise, in any of them hit the ground, it just means you don't make your air date. Yeah. So tell me, so tell me what you're doing to try to keep all those balls in the air. How have you managed? Well... I have, first of all, I have a great showrunner, Dee Johnson, who's, mm-hmm. you know, had years of experience doing this, and she kind of keeps the writers going and the, you know, keeps the home front going. And while I'm in Nashville, I do the, a lot of rewriting and prepping with the directors and here and all the production stuff on the ground here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough having a split production because post-production takes place in L.A. So I usually try to get home every 
couple of weeks to make at least one of the mixes for one of the episodes, you know, mm -hmm. I try to make every other one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, plus we have the musical component on top of it, which I oversee completely D kind of stays out of that. Oh, really? Um, yeah, just because, you know, it's more my realm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, I, I have to make sure that we have the right songs for the scenes, the right songs for each particular actor and how those are going to get produced, who's going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, T-Bone's been over, you know, has been the executive music producer, so all of those decisions are made with him. Right. But, you know, I still have to be the one to say that'll work for the scene or it won't. Mm -hmm. And so all of that has to be done in advance of shooting because we shoot to playback. Right. Yeah, tell me, tell me a little or bit. Or else you can never... Tell me a little bit about how that music is integrated. You know, at what stage in the story uh, does that come in? Well, um, you know, we listen all the time. We're always listening for songs that are, you know, would be right for one of our characters. So, so we try to write towards them. We tried early on to get as many songs in the bank, well, that's what we would call it, putting them in the bank as mm -hmm. we could. Songs that we just knew were going to be right for a specific character and, you know, likely to be right at a certain time in the season arc. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then other times we've just had to go out and find a song that'll work on the fly, which is, you know, not ideal, but fortunately, you know, eminently doable. But it just means, you know, you're often cutting a song only days before you shoot it. Sure. So, and then all the musicians have to learn it and because it's not always the same people on camera, right? you know, that have recorded it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so tell me about the creatively, uh, you know, managing, it sounds like, you know, yours certainly is the voice of the show, um, but TV seems like it's such a much more immediately collaborative medium than films. Absolutely. Uh, I have, you know, there's 10 writers altogether. I mean, we're down to fewer now. We lost a couple over the course of the season because they got pilot deals and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. we had a couple really great people fall out at the beginning of pilot season, but for very good reasons. And so, you know, you, everybody sits around in the room and you break the episode. And this, this season, we have been so close to our production schedule. That is, the story is broken within sometimes days of prepping and shooting so that everybody will take a certain part of the script and write it. And then we put it all together and then kind of go through and make sure it's all it becomes a homogenous story mm -hmm. and that it's more of a, you know, that, that the voice is, is connected. You know, in other words, it's, you can't tell that eight people wrote it. Sure. Of course. But that's generally how it's been all season. Uh, why has the production schedule been so tight? You know, we just, we got behind in the beginning. That's what everybody tells you. Don't get behind or you'll right. stay behind. That, that actually turns out to be true. Um, we got behind in the beginning and just 
our episodes are incredibly demanding, you know, mm -hmm. and so just, we haven't been able to catch up. And so we're just really close to, to, you know, when we air. Sure, sure. Um, but you guys must be almost through at this point. When do you wrap production? Yes. Uh, end of May. Oh, okay. That's great. Uh, so you've, you have managed to stay ahead of it. So well done. Yeah. Um, tell me about uh, putting together that, that room in the early days and even putting together, you know, the production crew, the directors, uh, everyone who's been involved. That, that must have been uh, an enormously uh, rewarding experience as well as a really fast learning curve for you. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, we met with a lot of writers in the beginning. You know, you go out and you meet everybody and they tell you why they think you're, they're right for your show. And, and based on the drafts that they, you know, and the scripts that they submit and, you know, the meeting, you, you just hope for the best and choose the people that you feel, you know, had the best connection to the material and, you know, you feel like can get your voice mm -hmm. because that's the other part of it is they have to kind of, at some point it's got to feel like they're writing like me. Right. And, uh, and you know, they get very good at it, by the way. Oh, and, um, sure. And so, you know, then it's just kind of like the bell rings, the gate opens, and everybody just starts running down the track as fast as you can. The directors, you know, there's so many good episodic directors, but, you know, our show has some pretty specific requirements because of all the performance elements and all the different areas of performance, you know, because we're not just shooting you know, performances in tiny bars. We're also doing huge concerts and, and you know, everything in between. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to have people whose strengths speak to that as well as just the basic, you know, our drama storytelling. Sure. Yeah, it's it's an ambitious show. Did you, did you realize how ambitious it would be uh, from a production point of view going into it? Well... I did. I mean, I don't know that everybody did, <laughs> but uh, I certainly felt like um, it was gonna it was gonna be big because I know how big just a, a show is. You know, I know how how difficult it is to just make a show look like something. Yeah, you have to really have a lot of a lot of people to make that happen, and. There's a lot of elements that go into it. You know, you have to be able to basically, you know, have have the people who really know how to shoot a concert and know how to make those performances exciting and know how to go into an arena and, you know, capture that. And at the same time, you have to have the people, you know, you also have to capture the tiny moments of somebody writing a song. And it's just... You know, production-wise, we're all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I knew it was going to be a big show, yeah. Yeah. Bring up, uh, you know, these big moments, these small moments, these very personal things, these very specific um, moments to write. Uh, talk to me about that from a writing perspective. You know, was there were there particular challenges in either the pilot or in subsequent scripts? Well, I think that, you know, showing somebody right is not necessarily the most interesting thing you can do. You sure. know what I mean? So you have to, 
kind of set it up well. You know, you have to understand why they're writing and what they're what what they're writing comes out of what part of their experience. So that when you hear the song, it makes sense that mm-hmm. that was the person who wrote that and and you know the history behind it and the meaning behind it. And if you do that, then when you see it performed, it resonates much more so than if it was just a song that kind of came out of nowhere. Let's let's go back again to the beginning. Oh, I had one other question about putting together that writing staff. Was there anything in particular you were looking for in the samples that were sent to you? Was there, Or was there stuff that you can look back on now that you particularly responded to? Well, I mean, I had to find people that I felt like had the right tone, you know, that had, were able to kind of mix drama with humor, you know. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of the most important thing because I I wanted this this the tone of this thing to be able to kind of span the whole you know the breadth of experience the experience of Nashville, some of which is you know, profoundly screwed up and, and, (laughs) and the other of which is just absolutely hilarious. Mm -hmm. Can you recall, can you recall anything that uh, jumped out at you from one of the writers? Uh, And were you reading um, all sample scripts or did you look at other material plays or anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that you know the amount of stuff that's gone down between now and me reading people's <laughs> samples it was is you know sure it's that would be impossible for me to call up a single uh incident except you know i, I remember in liz, liz tigelar i wrote i read one of her scripts and there was something of she was writing about how what was the name of it? it was life unexpected i think was the name of the show yes. and you know she said something about you know how hard it was to wrap her mind around the fact that Denver touched touched Kansas or something. <laughs> I mean that Colorado touched Kansas, mm-hmm. and I just remember thinking that was really funny, and uh, you know just her whole sense of humor mm-hmm. really appealed to me. And you know I think for every writer, I there was a version of the same thing, something that just really jumped out at me. But of course, recalling what it is right this right. minute is, you know tough under the best of circumstances, <laughs> but the number of scripts between then and now is so many that it just seems like a blur. And um, were, you, were you reading uh, just television specs? Were you reading other things yes. from these people? You are. Yeah, I mean, mostly television, yes. I think, uh, I mean, that's certainly the thing that applies the most. You know, it's a very specific thing, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, as if I know. I mean, this is my first <laughs> television. So they were all more experienced than I was. So yeah. Uh, well, let's talk yeah. about that for a second. Um, tell me about you know learning learning the language of TV writing. Was that a challenge for you, or was it exciting for you? Was it all, both? You it's know? exciting. You know, I have to. You have to kind of keep a really open mind when you're going into something about which you know very little. You know, I mean, I know about writing, but the form and the storytelling. Is is just a different pace and a you know a different everything mm-hmm. than features. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> so I just kind of kept quiet as much as I possibly could and listened till 
you know, and, and ask questions and just tried to learn, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't going to fool anybody by pretending I knew everything. <laughs> I mean, people know what my strengths are and, and hopefully, you know, if you're going into something like this, one of your strengths is, is that you have the good sense to know what you don't know, mm -hmm. you know, and to let people who do guide you a little bit. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was, that's a big part of it. It's sure. just, uh, you know, allowing yourself to not have to know everything. Yeah. Um, can you recall some of the, uh, the bigger takeaways that you had early on? Well, I mean, just the whole, um, the whole issue of like act out, for instance, you mm -hmm. know, when you have a, when you have a show on broadcast, you know, you, you're going to a commercial five times during the course of your, of your show. So, you know, you have to have people want to come back <laughs> before. <laughs> and so you, you, you find each act with, you know, kind of a little mini cliffhanger mm -hmm. so that they'll tune back in after the commercial. I mean, commercials are, you know, like everybody, perfect opportunity to leave and not come back or, <laughs> you know, watch something else. And so, you know, learning to speak that language and, and tell the story in six acts as opposed to three and all of that. I mean, I just feel like it's not something I knew that much about going into, but obviously have to, have to know how the whole thing happens. And so, you know, you have to start kind of learning to think like that. Mm -hmm. We've talked on these panels before about, you know, how, what the, that cliffhanger means to a writer isn't always the same thing that it means to uh, an executive giving notes or even to an audience. I mean, I think we tend to look at the emotional cliffhanger and that may not be the thing that brings people back. How did you find that right. balance? How did you find the right size stories to tell, I guess? Well, I mean, you know, that's something you're, you know, there may always be a little bit of debate about that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, we are thinking everything through, like, incredibly to, you know, the amounts that would make somebody who isn't writing the story lose their mind if they knew how much discussion went into every sure. aspect of it, you know. But, you know, it, it's also kind of a style choice, too, at some points, you know. Like, um, sometimes, it, you know, it just depends. I think the story, to me, doesn't always have to have some big, you know, oh, my God, I don't know what's going to happen. If you can make if you can make something where you just care so much about what's happening to the person, then you try to get people back that way, not just by right you know I wonder what happens next mm -hmm. but like you say, a network executive might not think that's sufficient, so <laughs> you know there's always a little bit of push pull on on that and many other things so. I mean, broadcast television is in a very tough place these days because, you know, even I don't watch television at an, any appointed time. Mm -hmm. You know, every single thing I watch, uh, I watch delayed. 
to some degree. You know, I either don't watch it on the night, or if I do, I watch it later that night. But I'm not sitting there, you know, at showing up at the appointed time and watching and, you know, and, and I think more and more people are watching television that way. It's just really changed. And so I don't know that networks, you know, have really found a way to adapt to that new, that new model. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for them, it's really important that people are sitting there watching it at the appointed time. You know, the ratings are, are all based on that. Right. You know, the, the ratings we have... On um, on you know when they add up the three days later and seven days later, you know we do great. Mm-hmm. But do we have the highest ratings necessarily on the night that the show is on? Not always, you know. But some of those still turn out to be our most popular episodes. Sure. After all is said and done, you know, because you just don't know. And plus, you know, the, just the schedule in general is a little bit puzzling to an audience because, like, Lord, you're on for a week and then you're <laughs> off for two weeks and then you're on for another week and then you're off for a month. Right. And, you know, people don't know when it's going to be on. So you're constantly having to kind of overcome that as well. And so it makes, quote, unquote, appointment television, television even more difficult than it is just normally. Sure. Um, you know, I got a lot of a lot of emails from people when we were off the air, you know, going, why? What's going on? It's, you know, and it's just like nothing's going on except <laughs> that, you know, except basketball, you know. Right. <laughs> Uh, does does that kind of scheduling, you know, either in the macro where they're they're you know you're on and off for weeks at a time, or in the micro where you know it's it's people watching delayed or live, does it affect the kinds of stories that you tell or the way that you tell stories? Well, not not necessarily not necessarily the kind of stories, but certainly the way. Yeah, you have to you have to take into account the, the fact that you're going to be off the air and you know so how much time is going to have passed in the interim Mm -hmm. you know and things like that I mean it would seem weird to me to be gone for a month and come back the next day (laughs) Sure. you know so it you always do kind of have to pay attention to whether or not there's going to be a how long the break is going to be in between. Mm-hmm. And are these discussions, I mean, I know that this is the sort of thing that's not really in the control of, you know, the creator, the showrunners, but are these discussions that go on with the network? Uh, you know, yes and no. I mean, but they're, you know, because their schedule is, is uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, reasons having nothing to do with each show right. that cause them to schedule things the way they do. So, I mean... You know, there's only so much you can say about it. You know, it is their schedule. So, you know, you just want to keep being on it. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Uh, How how is the relationship with the network? You know, it's it's great. I mean, you know, you just it's like everything else. You know, there's sometimes that are better than others. Sometimes you see eye to eye on something, and sometimes you don't. But you know, they always really hear us out and, uh, you know, take take our uh, our ideas into account and, mm-hmm. 
you know, very open-minded about everything. So it's been really great. Oh, that's great. Can you think of anything, so, though, uh, that maybe, you know, among the writers themselves uh, where, you know, there, there was some discussion about the direction of a story or the direction for a character? Uh, you know, what, what was the stuff where you guys really had to dig in and get into that minutia and defend your uh, various positions? You know, I mean, so much of it on our show has to do with whether or not it, that's something that really happened. Mm-hmm. You know, just even the way the business works. Oh, interesting. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you want to try to keep it as real as you can. We, Our one biggest problem is that, you know, the amount of time compression that we have to end up doing. You know, it's like some stories really have to happen the next day, but all the big events that need to happen would would really take way more time than we have. And so every so often we just have to, like, you know, bite the bullet and do something in a way that it wouldn't actually happen, that there would have been X amount of days in between these events happening, mm-hmm. and we just don't get to do that, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, that's kind of frustrating for me sometimes because keeping it, keeping it real is really important to everybody. And sometimes it's just, there's just not a way to do it, mm-hmm. you know? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine you guys are really striving for fidelity to so many different things that you have to pick and choose, right? I mean, it's to the characters, to yeah, the world. Um, so there there must have been discussions that have come out of that, you know, where, you know, where we actually get to see that this is a collaborative medium and, you know, it works because of it. You know, I, it's just like trying to make to make, like, for instance, the concert scenes, you know, mm-hmm. just making sure that it looks exactly like it looks backstage at a concert. Oh, sure. You know, that's, that's taken, you know, several uh, runs at it, you know, before I'm sitting there satisfied going, yep, that's how it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. I'll watch, I'll, if I'm not here sometimes, I'm like, where are the guys with the flashlights leading him to the stage? Where's the tour manager who's telling him, you know what I mean? It's like all the millions of things that unless you've been there, you don't know happen. You know, you certainly don't know those things happen as a concert goer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that's like a really important part of it to me is, is taking everybody all the way behind the scenes. Yeah. And, uh, and making it real, giving people the opportunity to see something that they won't get to see any other place. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I mean, and that's really uh, that the show feels so alive and uh, true in those scenes, you know. And then and then you come to a smaller scene between two people, uh, and you know we're we're kind of carried through, and it, it all feels very very real. So you know you you you've been successful. Well done. Oh, good. <laughs> And, you know, then there's the, you know, the sitting in a room writing a song and trying to, like, have something happen. And yeah. sometimes it does. And just how personal those stories could be, you know, how personal those songs can get. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, like I said, showing people right isn't necessarily that thrilling. But <laughs> if something really incredible comes out of it, then it can be, yeah. you know. Absolutely. 
Are there particular uh, triumphs, uh, whether it's you know scenes or stories or even just moments uh, from this first season that you've uh, that you have? Let me think. I mean, you know, there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, I think just trying to see Juliet, for instance, that character try to become a more serious writer, mm-hmm. and you know. The relationship with Deacon, for instance, like, you know, I, of course, have seen on television many, many times where you have an older man character with a younger woman, and I had to find a way, like, how can I do this without making it a stomach churner for me, you know, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes you're just like, that's just not, that doesn't look right or good at all, you know, and something that feels even true because what you're saying what you're saying about women is that they're kind of props you know so because I wanted to have the Julia character wanting to write with Deacon and, and aspiring to have somebody like that in her band you know I had to find a way to make that to take that relationship very quickly out of the, the fantasy part of, you know, here's a guy who's gotten extremely lucky into, oh, oh, guess what? Her mom is a drug addict and you're going to have to take her to rehab. <laughs> and, you know, this girl's going to fall apart several different ways and, you know, going to lean on you in a whole lot of ways that aren't going to always be that much fun for you. And, you know, so that all of a sudden you're kind of taking the, the polish off of, a re- that kind of relationship and putting it into the realm of reality mm-hmm. that makes it something else entirely. Yeah, there there so could be something. that's something I was happy that we were able to achieve. Yeah, you and, know? and you were definitely successful. I mean, there is something to that where it could read as very uh, fictive, right? Uh, but, you know, the show is so grounded in reality, uh, and and I think that's that's on really on account of you know your writers on up uh and all down the line you know you, you guys have really been successful in selling these moments um is we're really really committed to showing that experience you know so that it's like nobody's interested in in showing a phony side of things that's yeah. that's the that's easy to do it's been done many times Absolutely. you know Absolutely. So that's not that's not what we're about. The town itself, the town itself, you know, really just the way people are here and the way the music is, and the amount of great music there is, and the amount of great musicians, and incredibly intense, wonderful, funny people that are here making up what we know as the music business. I mean, I really wanted to honor that and honor what it is that they're doing because you know you don't really see the people behind the scenes who are telling the stories that are making the songs that people love you know yeah Uh, and so that was another really important thing for me to be able to stay very true to the people that are are committing their lives to that Mm -hmm. and and you know not showing them another not very true or not very interesting version of themselves that 
makes them cringe when they see it too. Sure, of course. There's been so much of that that's come out of Nashville over the years that I think I've talked to so many people that said, you know, got to tell you, I was I was nervous when you guys started, <laughs> and you know, rightfully so. Sure. And it's great to hear that they're satisfied by it. Oh, very. That's you know, great. it's like that. If any single thing is rewarding for me, that's right up there. Oh, that's great. Was were there uh, movies or TV that you looked at preceding uh, the show that you said that you felt got it right in the way that you wanted to get it right? Not. I mean, not really. I have to say, I mm-hmm. just kind of. I just. I mean, we weren't watching things. I mean, one thing, you know, we wanted the show to have a more cinematic feel. Mm-hmm. That was really important, you know. So, I mean, we paid a lot of attention to that. But in terms of, uh, I, you know, there wasn't anything that we went and looked at and said, let's not do that. Sure. What did, what, what did a cinematic feel mean to you all in regards to actually executing? Uh, like, we want to be outside a lot. We want to show the city of Nashville. We don't mm-hmm. want to be, like, hunkered down in rooms all the time and, and you know, show the scope of the place. And, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> they joke that we have a lot of Chamber of Commerce porn, you know. <laughs> we have so many beautiful shots of the city and the places in the city that it's kind of, you know, a great absolute for coming to Nashville. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, I've met so many people who are here specifically because they've seen the show and want to come uh, experience it themselves. So I know that we've at least succeeded on that level, um, which has also really been fun. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah happy about that yeah uh is this outside of the you know obvious kind of music experiences and getting it right backstage is there uh autobiography to this show how much of you is in this show in these characters you know i mean when i used to live here i lived here in the late 70s and early 80s and i waitressed at music clubs so i mean i had that point of view i where you know i was kind of I was kind of where Scarlett is, but, you know, personally, I don't sing or play anything, but plenty of the people that I worked with, you know, literally, you would just be going, what are you doing? Why are you working? It's, you know, so great. But it still would take years for somebody to get discovered, for other people to find, for other people to find them and, and see what you know, I could see any night of the week. I saw so much incredible music when I lived here that I really, I just felt like, oh, people have got to see this because that, that's really true. That aspect of it is totally true. Mm-hmm. You can come here and just walk down the street and hear just fantastic music any night of the week. Yeah. The bench here is 10 deep. <laughs> uh, is there an analogy to be made uh, to the struggling writer then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, like everything else, there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of timing and, 
you know, very, I think they have a lot in common with people who move to Los Angeles and, you know, want to be, want to be that person, sure. want to be the person who, who gets discovered. And so, you know, it's, uh, and it's just a t it's just as tough a business too, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, I mean, I I would imagine that you and the writers uh, are drawing on those experiences as well. I mean, it's uh, that that's the analogy that that I would make. I mean, we all know that feeling, right? Right. You uh, know, I, writing, no matter yeah. what kind of writing you're doing, it's still tough, you know. Yeah. It's just there's a lot of people trying to do it. Yeah. Just finding how you set yourself apart in that world, you know, you got to keep your wits about you. <laughs> um, does, does the process come easily to you these days? I mean, you, you've been at it for a while. You've had some great successes. Uh, is, is the actual process of writing fun and enjoyable to you? Much more so now than it used to be. Really? For a long time, I really just dreaded sitting down and writing. Now I'm just kind of more, you know... I've got a lot more sang-froid about it than I used to. You know, it's just something that has to get done. So, you know, what's the point of belly aching? you know? You <laughs> sure. still have to get it done quickly, so shut up and write. When, when did that change start to happen for you? When I started working on this show. <laughs> no kidding. Sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the moving train analogy, right, that, that every yes, exactly. writer makes. It's, you don't have a choice. Just yes. get to it. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. That's it's funny. like it's not it's not for discussion. It's <laughs> really something that just has to happen, and fast. So, you know, you can sit around and whine about it. It's only going to hurt you. You know, <laughs> yeah. the longer you complain. And and does writing television press the same buttons for you creatively that feature writing did, or that even directing does? You know, I'm getting ready to direct the finale, mm -hmm. and so it's, you know, it's starting to feel that way, just prepping and all that. I mean, it obviously goes a thousand times faster, but um, it's, you know, yes. I mean, I think it's it's even more in some ways than feature writing just because, you know, it's going to be on the air. Like, people are going to see it. Yeah. Like really soon, people can <laughs> see it, and uh, you don't have to wonder, like if if this is ever going to see the light of day. Like once the show is there, people are going to see it, and you know you can rest assured that good, bad, or indifferent, it's going to be on television. Yeah. So just to try to make it as good as you can, as quickly as you can. You know, and that's just a lot of fun. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and there's a tremendous amount of camaraderie with with my fellow writers, and and you know, the relationships become very important. You know, people are very you know because we're telling these jam packed stories in a in a very concentrated amount of time. You know, people just bear their souls and. You know, I, I had never worked with other writers, you know. It was mm -hmm. my first experience just being in a room with a bunch of people. It's a lot less lonely. <laughs> and so if you're open to it, and we 
we fortunate because we had an incredible group that just there was a very you know we just gelled mm-hmm. and so you know we all got used to each other very quickly and there wasn't any discord and people really seemed to like each other and so you know we had the best case scenario yeah that, um, that's terrific and i'm sure like... that doesn't always happen and i feel yeah i feel incredibly lucky that it happened yeah and i and honestly me. i i think uh I think your writers were lucky that you were open to that experience. You know, there have been feature writers who come in who are not open to it and, you know, it becomes this very uh, cloistered thing where that person will go off and write and, you know, the room is left kind of twiddling their thumbs. So I'm, I'm glad it's, it's such an open experience. That's great. You know, to me, it have the luxury of having all those people there to help you just, you know, like the best deal ever <laughs> like really you know everybody's gonna help wow yeah. great you know i was really thrilled i love and i love you know just the give and take of it you know i love people who are you know can argue their side of it passionately enough to like bring you around sometimes mm-hmm. to something that you didn't see in the beginning yeah so you know all of that is a lot of fun too Good. That's great. Uh, before we wrap up, do you have time to watch any television? Is there anything you're watching, anything The Room is talking about or that's getting uh, you or them inspired? Well, you know, we have varying degrees of television watchers in The Room. Uh-huh. Uh, some people watch everything and other people watch nothing. And then it's almost directly tied to how many children one has. So. <laughs> You know, the more children, the less TV they're watching. Um, so, you know, I mean, I was disappointed to miss the Mad Men premiere last night mm-hmm. because for some reason AMC is not at my hotel, which was very disappointing. And I watched, you know, I watch um, Breaking Bad and things like that. But this last year, other than the Daily Show and the Colbert Report, <laughs> I watch you know pretty much every night because it's how I wind down. Yeah. Um, I haven't been able to watch that much stuff, you know, because you want to, you, you need to kind of shut down. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a lot of a lot of stimulation. <laughs> uh, we should actually we should talk about music for a second though. Um, is there anything you've discovered since starting the show that has really gotten you excited? You know, I mean, it was a great experience to get work with T-Bone again. Yeah. You know, uh, we haven't worked together in a long time. I mean, obviously, I'm with him all the time. And so, you know, involved in his process. But for us to get to do something that music is this integral a part of, you know, it's been a long time since that happened. Mm-hmm. and. That's been just incredible. And I've gotten to work with some really great friends of mine, you know, Buddy Miller and just other producers used on the show and different musicians. And my best friend, Pam Tillis, was in the show. And, you know, just working with all the songwriters and getting to know some new songwriters whose work I just admire so deeply. And, you know, that thing of calling it, being able to call up an old friend and go, I need a song that 
says mm-hmm. something like this, you have anything, send it right now. And they send something that's absolutely perfect. Oh, that's great. And, you know, you're just blown away. I mean, when we were doing the pilot, we were coming very, very close to having to shoot, and we did not have the songs that we felt like were the standout songs that we were going to need to make the show what we needed it to be, which is, you know, the best show about music that's been on so far. You know, the competition is, it's, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of it, but what there is is the competition stiff. And so we, you know, we needed to c- come in with a big statement. Yeah. And, you know, the night we, executive producers, these two other executive producers, R.J. Cutler and Steve Buchanan and myself were at the Bluebird one night watching a show and we left and while I was at the show I got an email from my good friend Joy Williams. Joy, who is the female half of the Civil War, sent me an email saying T-Bone called and said you needed songs. Uh Here are some songs. And three of the five songs she sent ended up in the pilot. Oh, wow. And Another song, you know, we, we that we were planning to use in the pilot, we very close to shooting, found out that it had already been cut by a major artist and that somehow they had just failed to mention that. And so we uh, we had to come up with another song really quickly. And she, um, I mean, I called my friend Bob DePiro, who's written a ton of hit songs, and I was like, Bob, I need a song. That sounds like this. That's a song that she's got to get angry in the middle of it. So it's got to, mm-hmm. but it's got to, it's got to be minor enough that she's, you know, that she gets mad in it. It feels like the right thing. And he sent a song over and it was like, thank you so much. That was it. <laughs> you know, one song he sends over and it's perfect. Oh, so, you know, it's in a song we've used multiple times throughout the episode. So that, that's kind of amazing. You know, that's, so thrilling to be able to have a resource like that or you know t-bone just calls up elvis costello songs for this kind of you know east Nashville, you know half punk guy right got anything and he sends two songs over again both of which used multiple times so it's just the resources of that or you know he called steve earl the other day and said, have anything laying around that you haven't cut <laughs> here? You know, thank you. That's perfect. You know, it's just been, that part has been magical and amazing. Yeah. You know? What a thrill that must and be. And that's kind of what I was hoping would happen and, and is really the whole reason to make the show. Mm-hmm. Um, because I love, I love music and I love having a, my life, you know, in music and you know, it, it, so much of the time it's vicarious, and and you know, although it still is to some degree, it's um, you know, I'm a lot closer to it yeah. now than I am just hanging out with Steve and watching him do brilliant things. And <laughs> he just texted me that El- he's with Elton right now. That Elton just wrote a, an amazing song, which you know, that's how his day works. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, for crying out loud! That's what he does in his time. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was really terrific. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. Good thank lu- you so much. Of course. Good luck with uh, directing the finale. We're excited for it. I, thank you so much. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, knock them dead. Now leaving Nerdist.com.